Yeah. Hey, if, if you've got a Bible with you, go ahead and uh, grab it, turn it to uh, the book of 2 Corinthians. It is uh, in the New Testament, towards the beginning of the New Testament. Um, just a couple of reminders before we get started. Well, really just one. One reminder. I don't know. I'll just start talking. Um, just a reminder, uh, for those of you who are watching at home, this is the last week of our live stream. So, uh, sermon will still be up next week, and from the weeks after, we're still videoing the sermon. That'll be up later in the morning. We just won't be in a live stream situation. Um, so, that's uh, first thing. Second thing, um, I just want to thank, there, there's a few people, I'm not, if I start naming them, I'm going to forget somebody, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings, and it's just bad, but all the folks who were involved in getting that lobby ready for this week. Uh, it looks great, and we're excited about it. Um, but I will say this, please take advantage of the stuff that's there. Those couches aren't for looking at. So uh, it's a great place to hang out and, and, and chat and try and get some, some measure of community. But I think we all know that, that most of what we come to in a, for or we come to church for is that kind of community, and that kind of community is almost impossible to find on a Sunday morning. And so, uh, one of the ways, in fact, the main way that we here at UPC want to encourage folks uh, to find that is in one of our groups. We have life groups, we got men's groups, we got women's groups, we got joy group, we got group, 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 group. Doesn't matter the kind of group. The point is sharing life together trying to see the gospel transform each and every person in that group together. Most of what you're looking for is in a church. That's where you're going to find it. And so um, if you need help getting into a group, you can come talk to me or send an send email to Megan in the office. We will, we will get you into um, a, a group that's going to be best for you. Okay. Now, last thing before we jump into our passage. If you're visiting here with us this morning, I'm about to confirm every suspicion you've ever had about church. I don't know why it happened to be this week that you came. I promise we do not talk about this all the time. But I think we, we all know that when it comes to most of our suspicions about church, we think that every, the only thing that pastors really want to ever talk about is sex and money. One out of two is where we're at this morning. So um, this morning we are looking at 2 Corinthians 8. And we are in this series on reimagining, and one of the things that we want to reimagine as a church is what it means to be a generous congregation, a generous church. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. So if you're visiting, I'm sorry, I know you don't believe me, we really don't talk about this all the time. But we do think it's important. So if you have your place in 2 Corinthians, in your Bible, your device, the Bible that's in front of you, stand, if you would, in honor of God's word. We're in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 7 to 15. This is God's word to us. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, 
Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Uh, Jesus, there's so much in us that conspires against us hearing you speak as it regards to something like our finances. And I am not up to the task of clearing that stuff out. I can't even do it in my own heart. And so I just ask that you would clear that, that uh, junk away. Let us hear from you. Let us hear, first and foremost, of your great generosity towards us. And that through that, Lord, that might move us and change us. For the glory of your name, that the world may look and see a people not beholden to stuff. That's not natural, so we ask that you would do a supernatural work in us, even this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. Now, if I'm going to be honest with you, this is a topic that needs several weeks to engage in, in a way that's going to be helpful. It needs that because, uh, well, for one, the Bible talks an awful lot about our finances, um, but the other reason is because of how difficult it is to communicate the Bible's vision for our money without a ton of misunderstanding. Because in most, you know, in, in, in this country especially, you have the two poles that generally dominate the way the church engages with money. You have the one pole in which it's everything that you talk about, right? I think we all, we've either been a part of a church like that or we've seen those churches where, where it's almost as if faith equals um, both, both the, uh, or in some measure, some transfer of that wealth to someone. Generally, let's be honest, the guy on stage. Or you get the other pull, which is the reaction against that, which is because we don't want to look like those people, we're just never going to talk about it. And we're going to leave this thing that the Bible talks about all the time. We're going to kind of leave it up to the individual conscience, which we do on no other issue, because we're too afraid of being misunderstood. And so I want to, I want to just come out of the gate saying that it is very possible that you're going to misunderstand. And some of that, I'll take all responsibility, in fact. I, most of that's going to be my fault. But well, let's be clear on something. Um, the, the fear of being misunderstood is no reason to, to kind of just kind of gloss over how the scriptures talk about this. You know, the reality is Jesus talked a lot about money, like a lot. And he did so because you and I have this weird thing in us in which money and the stuff that money provides is something that we struggle mightily not looking to, to get a status to make us safe, to satisfy us. And all of those things are things that we're meant to find in God. And so we end up looking towards money a lot. It becomes a really big deal. You know, there's a, a pastor in our denomination who recently went to be with the Lord um, up in Manhattan. And he, you know, and he's in Manhattan, right? His name's Tim Keller. And Tim... Tim said uh, a couple of times that, you know, 
he had been a pastor for you know, 25, 30 years, and in that time, pastored in Virginia and then in, in uh, Manhattan, and during that time, he had had any amount of, of people come into his office and confess every possible sin to him, except one, greed. And I'll be honest, I've been doing this for almost 20 years. I've heard a lot of people confess a lot of things. I've never heard anyone say, Rick, pray for me, I'm greedy. Now, I know somebody's going to come up to me after and do it. That does not count, okay? It doesn't count. doesn't count. If I ever say this again, I'll still say it no matter what you do after this, okay? So, why is that? Why is it that especially, you know, maybe, maybe it's universal, but maybe it's just because of where we live and who, what culture we're a part of. Why is it that we have our eyes open to every possible way in which we betray God except for one? And it happens to be that one that Jesus talks about almost more than anything else. Maybe it's a problem. Maybe it's a serious problem. And maybe the church as a whole is doing a really poor service her people by not talking about it. So if you are a Christian here this morning, you have acknowledged that Jesus is Lord over every aspect of your life, and that includes your wallet. And if, if, if it's true that we look to money for, all, for those three things, for status, safety, and for satisfaction, if it's true that Jesus is Lord of every aspect of our life, then Christian giving, generosity, is not ancillary to, but in fact, a vital aspect of our discipleship, our becoming more like Jesus. It actually is a, it's actually part of how we grow as Christians. And so what I want to do this morning is take this one passage, one passage, okay? Again, we don't, we're not doing this for weeks, so just one passage, and talk very practically about Christian giving. Talk very practically about generosity. Okay, so there's an outline. You can look at it. That's fine. You can keep up. We're going to look at it's just two points. What it is, okay, what Christian giving is, and then secondly, where it comes from. Okay, so let's begin with what generosity or Christian giving is. And we're going to do so, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about four aspects of it. And, and, and they come out of this passage. I might be throwing out a couple of other things, but we're, we're going to stick pretty close to this one. Okay, so look down at verse 7. Okay, verse 7, which strangely I didn't read. But that's okay. We're just going to over, gloss over that. Okay, it says this. I'll read it now. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, so let me, let me um, kind of give you a, a heads up into who these people are that Paul is writing to. So it's written, this, this letter was written by an early Christian leader named Paul. Um, many of you know a good bit about him, but one of the things that he did was he planted, he started new churches all through the Mediterranean world, and one of those places was this city in Corinth. Um, and and um, Corinth was a, a metropolitan area, it was multicultural, it, it was uh, highly affluent, um, it, it, it was one of the only places in the Roman world where you actually could have some upward financial mobility. Um, and this was a place that was, in terms of the church, they were like the, the uber-spiritual, kind of the, the picture of how you would expect a church that believes in victorious Christian living. 
Okay? They, were, they, they loved big-time manifestations of the Holy Spirit. They were all about it. They had it and they knew it. They loved their spiritual gifts. They loved teaching. They loved, they loved tongues. They loved anything that was flashy. And in fact, like Paul talks about the church in, this, in these letters as the body of Christ, something that we're going to do next week, to speak to how everyone needs one another, not just the flashy gifts, because that was a particular issue here. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know the great love passage that everyone has read at their wedding? It has nothing to do with marriage. Sorry. It has everything to do with how we live in the church. It's not about romantic love. It's about like love, like loving one another. Um, but I had it at my wedding too. So no, yeah, don't worry about it. Listen. Okay, so Paul begins talking about giving, especially this offering that we're going to talk about in a second from this region, by talking about giving as a gift of the Spirit. Did you see that? It says, see that just as you can excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, all things they, ex- they thought were gifts of the Spirit, see that you excel in this act or gift of grace also. So what this means is that God's Spirit works in Christians to make us generous with the money that we've been entrusted with. Okay? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while and know a little bit about spiritual gifts, what you're probably thinking right now is, well, I know I'm not gifted in this area. Okay? Like if, you're like, if giving is a spiritual gift, clearly not me. All right? And that is because of some confusion over what it means to be gifted in an area. I don't know where we began to learn this, but somewhere down the road, we began to think that for, some, for, for the Holy Spirit to be working in a Christian's life and gifting in them in something, that means that that thing comes completely naturally, easily, freely, and spontaneously, right? I don't know why we think that, but even as I say that, some of us are like, well, yeah, isn't that what it means? To be gifted? So like, you know, someone who's, who's gifted in evangelism, they would never get nervous sharing the gospel with anyone, right? They would never get nervous. It would always just come easily. They would never struggle getting into that conversation. It would just be something that happens or, you know, and so that we tend to think that when it comes to giftedness. And so we, we also, on the flip side, believe that if that's not us, right, then we get a pass, right? Well, if I'm not gifted in that way, well, thankfully, I don't have to ever do that, right? And both are crazy. Here's what I mean. Jesus told all of his church to go and make disciples. We talked about that, right, in the first week of this series. He told all of his church to go and make disciples, not just those gifted in evangelism. But he does equip some to be especially fruitful in that. I don't know why. He just does. Right? He called all of us to learn about God's word. He called all of us to give a reason for the faith that we have. We see that in the New Testament. And yet, he's gifted some to be able to teach. Right? But listen, just because you have a gift in an area doesn't mean that you don't have work to do. I mean, we can, we can argue whether or not you think I'm gifted to do what I'm doing right now. But I can tell you, I work a lot. Like, I study a lot to be able to do what... I'm doing up here. And this is why Paul tells these these Christians in Corinth to see that they excel. Literally, the original language there means to fill yourself up with, to to fill yourself up with this grace as well. It is a grace. It is a gift of God's Spirit. It is something that comes with being a Christian, but it is also something that we seek to exercise, to kind of develop. So how do we know if we've been given this gift? It's actually rather simple. 
really simple in this case. Some of us have been given more. And if we've been given more, we've been given more so that we can give more. More has been given to us. So, first and foremost thing, what is Christian giving? First and foremost, it's spiritual. Okay? Second, though, it's intentional. Okay, look down at verses 10 and 11. Paul basically says this, complete what you began. Now, let me, let me explain this. So, um, Paul had, begin, had begun in the city of Corinth talking about, and he does this in a few of his other churches, talking about gathering a, a particular offering, right? It's a relief offering for other Christians, okay? So, what had been happening was there was a, there was a famine going on in um, in, in Judea and in Israel and the kind of that region. And so the, the Mediterranean churches, the more Gentile churches, the churches that weren't full of, of folks who came from a Jewish background, they're raising money and resources, and Paul is going to go back with it to give relief to these folks. And he got this capital campaign started a while ago, and he gave them instruction. He talked about setting aside money on, on the first day of the week. That's a little bit earlier. Now he's saying in, in that way, in that same way, complete what you started. Now, this is important because, again, what I just said, we have this romantic notion that if something is spiritual, it must be spontaneous. That no amount of thinking, planning, or intentionality can ever go into it. It has to be perfectly spontaneous. If not, it's of the flesh. It's of man. It's about trusting in your ideas we plan something, if we prepare for something, if we think about and intentionally do something, we tend to think that couldn't possibly come from the Spirit. It can't be godly. I'm going to ask you again, where did we get that? Because that's certainly not what we see in Scripture, right? So Christian giving is to be intentional. Paul says, don't just desire to do this or will to do it, but do it. So here, here's how the rubber meets the road on this. If, you've, if you're a Christian here this morning and you've never uh, been someone who is given regularly, you're going to have to have a plan. We're tempted to simply say, well, when I have more, I'll have more space to give. Right? That's what we're tempted to say. Which is a lot like saying, I'm going to cure my eating problem by buying a bigger belt. It does not work. Right? We always fill the vacuum. We always seem to fill out that extra space we have in our monthly finances. You do it, I do it, we do it. You have to plan to give. So let me get practical for a minute. You remember I said a second ago that Paul told these Corinthians to put that money aside on the first day of the week. It's actually a really important detail. And a lot of times uh, what we end up looking at that for is because, well, it's because they're worshiping on the first day of the week. And so they're put it. And that is, sure, I mean, yes, right? I know we don't think of Sunday as the first day of the week, but it is. And so, the, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of what that's about. But do you realize that, that putting aside money on the first day of the week means that they're putting aside money before they had expenses? That's what that would have meant for them. These were, for the most part, not exceptionally wealthy people. So to tell them to put money aside on the first day meant that their giving was a first expense, not an optional one. Which is like backwards of the way we think about it, isn't it? Like, if we're, if we're being really honest, most of us in this room see, like, uh, our, any kind of generosity, but especially uh, giving to the church, is kind of like that optional bill if we have space at the end of the month, right? 
And Paul says, no, this is a first expense. It is a first principle. So as, as we begin to think about this, spiritual, it's intentional. So Rick, what does that mean? Like, how do I become intentional? Well, as you're working through this, and listen, I'll say this a couple of times during this message. Um, this is not something that any of us, m- most of us, that's not to say any of us, most of us growing up were never taught this, right? It's not like our parents sat down with us and said, okay, let's, let's talk about budgeting. Let's talk about how, what are your priorities? Let's talk about telling your money where, go, go where you want it to go. No, 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 no. Most of it was like, was like you want more clothes? Get a job. Like, that's, that's what we got. That's what I got, okay? So listen, uh, three words on how to begin thinking about intentionally working through finances. The first is that first principle, give. I didn't come up with these three words. I'm not going to take credit for it. But give is the first principle. The second is save, and the third is live. We do it flip, right? Think live, get what we want, save with what we can, and then if there's anything, we, what's, in my, what's in my pocket today? Some lint and a nickel. Okay, give. It's flipped, okay? You plan on how much you will give, and then you adjust the rest of your spending accordingly, not the other way around, okay? So, it's spiritual, it's intentional, but how much? That's the big question. It's always the question. Rick, what do you mean? What, how, much, how much am I supposed to be giving? Well, that it's proportional. Look down at verses 12 and 13. Paul says, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he doesn't have. Okay? So what Paul is doing here is he is, he's, he's not feeling the need to argue for it because it's a consistent message in Scripture. Right? That, that giving generosity is always proportional to what we have, not giving out of what we don't. But before we flesh that out, let me hit this notion of giving being acceptable. Did you catch that? Forgiving, he's like, listen, it's acceptable according to what you have, not what you don't have. This is a fairly broadly misunderstood thing among Christians and non-Christians, so, so listen close if you can. Let me say this very clearly. Christians do not give to the church. Now, I know everyone's like, I know who I wrote the check to, Rick. Like, it's very clear. No, actually, it, it's not. Like, Christians don't give to the church we give to God. In other words, you don't give you don't give because the church really needs it, nor do you give because the local church seems like a good investment of my finances. Like spiritual investment. And we pick amongst all of them. We go, well, here's all the possible spiritual investments I can do. Well, my local church, they're they're just morons. I'm not giving to them. Like I'm going to no, we, we give because God has given it to us. Listen, if we gave because the church needed it, why am I giving? That doesn't make any sense. Like it's like, a, like we're gonna, you're going to give to me and I'll give it back. No, no, we give because God has given it to us, right? Jesus once said in, 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 in one of his teachings, he said that you can't serve two masters. Some of you heard this, right? You can't serve two masters. And he ends it with you can't serve God and money. Part of the reason we give is an act of worship, as a kind of declaration. It's like to ourselves, to others, that we don't trust in this stuff. That it's actually the Lord who provides for us, and he does it through this means, but this means cannot save us. Right? Now, as we talk about the proportion, let me get specific. 
Okay, some of you know that the Old Testament, okay, the, the, what one of my professors called the, the Bible, and the New Testament was the appendix to the Bible, but that was in, that was in seminary, so he was trying to be snarky, and it worked. But, um, but in the Old Testament, it t- talks about this principle called a tithe. Okay? Now, for many of us, the word tithe simply is, has become equated with what we give, but a tithe speci- specifically is, is a, a principle of 10%, right? Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, it's like the last book of the Old Testament, speaks of bringing the tithe into the storehouse. Now, the storehouse would have been, in Malachi's day, the temple, okay, it's the temple, it's where all the religious work was done, you, you brought it into the temple, in our day we would say the church, and a tithe is the first 10% of your income, okay? Now, here's the thing about all this, in the Bible, the tithe is a baseline for Christian giving. The baseline. Now, that means it's the starting point. Now, I get it. Like, we think that's huge, outrageous even. But listen to me. If everything, as the Bible argues, is God's, if everything you have is actually his, if you and I are, in fact, his, um, you know, in a couple of parables, it kind of gives the, the idea that, that uh, we're almost like investment managers, right? We're stewards of what God has given us. If you were an, and some of you might be investment managers, but if, if you were an investment manager and someone came to you and said, listen, I'm going to give you this big chunk of change, you can keep 90% of it. I just need 10%. I need a 10% thing on it. You get to keep the rest. You'd be like, best job ever. Right? You'd think, this is the greatest thing ever. How do I find more clients like this? This is great. Right? So this idea is probably not as outrageous as we think. Now, some of you, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, are thinking to yourself right now, you're like, well, Rick, I'm not sure if you realize this, but tithing is not taught in the New Testament. Um, it's an Old Testament thing. And there's, that's fair enough. Okay, fair enough. There's a few answers to this. First, in our tradition, we believe the, the entire Bible is the Word of God, not just the New Testament. Okay? The entire Bible is the Word of God, not just the New Testament. And when, like, the way that we understand that is the principle goes like this. If, if we see something in the New Testament that has specifically been changed from the Old Testament, then we go, okay, the change is there. Okay? You, you see this was like um, that, that the greatest of all lines in the Gospels when, when Mark tells us that by this, Jesus made all foods clean. And I say it's the greatest of all lines because you and I love bacon. <laughs> and before that, you, you and I couldn't have eaten it. Okay? We would have not known bacon had it not been for that line. By this, Jesus made all foods clean. We're like, thank you. Right? <laughs> Same with like the change in worship days, the first day of the week. Like there are things like that that we see the New Testament changing. So that's the first thing. Second thing, Jesus affirmed the practice. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking to a bunch of uh, religious type people and he says, listen, at one he, he kind of uh, calls them something not very nice. And then he says, you tithe and he lists all these things, mint, dill, cumin. He's basically like, even the little things, the herbs in your garden, you tithe even down to that. Good job. Of course, you should have done these other things too. Notice he doesn't say, what are you doing with tithing? Stop it. The really important thing is this other stuff over here. He goes, no, 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 you should have been doing that. Good job. Well done. Now, you should also be doing the weightier things of the law, okay? If Jesus affirmed it, I think it sticks. It's just my, my opinion on that one. But lastly, um, giving in the Old Testament 
as we see it throughout the Old Testament, is a response to the grace of God, right? We, we give in the Old Testament, Old Testament believers would give out of the, their response to how God has done something, right? And so the question comes with this. So today, think with me, have we received more grace than those in the Old Testament or less? Like, are, is the work of God's redemption more completed now or less than it was then? And obviously, we would say more so. So would it make sense that we would write in response? Would it make sense to be giving less or more in response to more of that grace? So practically, here, let me, let me give you a line. If, if you haven't done percentage giving, if you've never been taught that this is actually something the Bible teaches you, I'm going to give you a challenge. It's not a big one, okay? I'm not going to be like, dive in to the deep end of the pool. Just pick a percentage. 1%, 2%, 5%. I don't care. Just pick it. Just pick it. And then begin giving that. The point isn't the amount, it's the practice. And then you begin working to increase that to get to the baseline, or dare I say, beyond it. <laughs> dare I say, beyond it. Okay? And that brings us to the last principle, which is that giving is sacrificial. Look down at verse 9. Paul says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And here's the thing. Ultimately, in this passage, Paul is not speaking about regular Christian giving to the church. He's talking about a special offering. Okay? He's talking about a special offering. The principle of proportional giving is in place, but, but in this particular context, he's speaking of proportional giving above their regular giving to support the church. So let me, let me kind of draw some of these things together. That means that what Paul is dealing with is not their regular giving to their church, which would have been understood as that baseline. He's talking about something even more. Even more. And I know this is weird, but like, listen, even in the Old Testament, that tithe that I talked about was the least amount that people were, that God's people were giving. The least. The least amount. This is why he illustrates this issue with Jesus. What Paul is talking about here is an exchange of circumstances. Do you see that? Like Jesus becomes poor so that we might become rich. Now, of course, what he's talking about is not, is not like Jesus becoming poor or, becoming, or being rich in a kind of material sense. He's speaking metaphorically, but the point's the same. Kind of right before this passage, Paul is talking to the Corinthians about another church, and the, Mas- the church in Macedon, in Macedonia, in which he, he kind of says in verse 7 that like, like he wants the Corinthians to excel in the grace of giving just like they did. Just like they did. And then he talks to them about the grace of Jesus who became poor. And here's what this means. You and I are to judge where we're at in this spiritual act of giving, not by where our neighbor is. Not by how, how we know we're doing as compared to some others in the church. We're to compare ourselves to Jesus. We're to compare ourselves to Jesus. Paul is saying, you want to know what kind of generosity is appropriate for the Christian? Look at Jesus. Okay, so what does that mean practically? What this this passage would teach us is simply this. Christians' giving is meant to be 
as Jesus's was, which is sacrificial. But what does that mean? Actually, really clear. If your giving, if my giving, does not affect your lifestyle, it is not sacrificial. Right? If you're not looking at your, you know, monthly budget or expense, whatever, however it is that you track things, assuming you track things, and you're like looking at it, you're not going like, man, you have that thought in your head every once in a while of, imagine what I could do if I wasn't a part of this thing called the church. Then it's probably not sacrificial, right? And some of you, I know, as soon as I say that, you're like, wait, Rick, wait, I tithe. Awesome. Now look to Jesus, right? Why did Jesus commend the widow? That little story, Jesus is in the temple, and there's a, there's a widow, and he's, they're watching everyone come and give their offering, and, and, and everyone's, there's people up there who are giving lots, and he, she, this one woman, this one widow comes up, and she gives her, you know, the widow's mite is what it's called, this little tiny coin, and Jesus is like, I tell you what, she gave out of her poverty. Like, she gave everything. Like, that's, he's looking at her going, that's devotion. Most of us give out of our abundance. We all do, right? But he's commending her because her giving looked like his. Like, you and I cannot outgive Jesus. We can't. But we are called to seek to become more and more like him. And this means that there is not a single person in this room who does not have room to grow. Not a single one of us. Paul is calling the Corinthians and us to a generosity that is certainly certainly not less than a percentage, but it's more than that because Jesus didn't tithe himself. He gave it everything. Christian generosity then is spiritual, it's intentional, it's proportional, and finally it's sacrificial. So that's what it is. And again, listen, not... I'm not arguing that. I've just given you a comprehensive vision for a Christian view of money. I know that this is, we have one uh, time to talk about this. Maybe later on in, in my time here, we can, we can do something more full-orbed. Um, but here's the more important side, where it comes from. Because stay with me. I know how inconvenient this message is. I know that this is like one of those, you're like, why did I come today? I know. It's okay. Sometimes I wonder, why did I come today? Uh, <laughs> to say this. Um, but see, here's the thing. Some of us in this room are fine with giving because of what it is we think it does for us. Right? We're fine with it. We'll write checks all day long. There's a need, I'm writing a check. There's somebody I meet in the street who's, who needs help, I'm writing the check. And why? Because of what we think it is doing for us. We think we can give to pay off God. We think we can give so that God is thankful for the fact that we've given him money. God is like, oh, he needs me, right? He needs my money. And he's so thankful that he overlooks our sin. So listen to me really close. If your giving is meant to establish a status for you, like a righteousness before God, I'm not just telling you that it's not working. I'm telling you that is sin, you're making it worse. You're actually making it worse. Right? If that's what's going on in your heart, and that's why it's easy at times to, to write those checks, let me tell you, like, it's actually making it worse. Christian generosity comes from it. It comes out of the gospel. Right? Look again at verse 9. Why is it that Paul says this? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's rich, became 
poor. So that, is it kind of an example? Is it kind of like a, hey, Jesus gave everything. You can give a percentage. Like, is it that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's, there's obviously place in the scriptures for, for, uh, for kind of example. But, but that is not why Paul includes it. He does so because of where our, our generosity has to come from. It springs out of our security in the gospel. And here's what I mean. When Paul says that Jesus was rich, he doesn't mean materially. He means in fullness. He was completely full and satisfied. He's alluding to the fact that Jesus wasn't just a really cool dude who did a lot of really cool things. He's God the Son, right? The Bible teaches that God exists in those three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are in a perfect, loving, unbroken mutually deferential relationship but Jesus became poor for us see we were the Bible talks about us in terms of our poverty our need our alienation from him our separation from that kind of stability and security and fullness right the same guy who wrote this letter would say in another one that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God not some but all and so Jesus exchanged circumstances with us he and his fullness and his wealth he came and entered into our poverty and bore our poverty so that we might participate in his wealth like we're the ones that sinned we're the ones that betrayed God we're the ones that are broken and Jesus came and took our place for what we deserve he exchanged situations with us he took our poverty we get his riches generosity has to start there it has to start there If you think that money keeps you safe, if you think that it gives you satisfaction, if you think it gives you a status, you will never be able to part with it. At least not much. It will rule you. It will. If it is giving you something, if you think that you are getting the thing you really want from that that ledger sheet, you will always be enslaved to it. But if you believe that Jesus has given you everything you need, that you are rich for what all the things you're looking for money to give you that Jesus has already given you. Then generosity flows because if Jesus has given you everything, then money can't give you anything. If we stay apart from Jesus, no matter how much we give, we're stuck in our poverty trusting our money and we will never be free to give. Never. And so that also means, friends, that if, if, if you're here this morning and you're struggling with generosity, the place to begin is the gospel. Maybe, maybe some self-reflection on what is it that I'm looking for my money to do for me? What, what is it that I think it's going to give me? Why is it more trustworthy to me than God? The place to start is the gospel. Because it comes from the gospel. But ultimately, it comes from a transformed heart. Look down at verses 8 and 9. Paul says, I don't say this as a command, but to prove your love is genuine. He's saying this. He's saying, look, if you believe this about Jesus, if your heart has been changed by the gospel, this is going to come. This is, this is just going to come. Do you, do you see why? Like, Paul could have commanded it. He says, I don't give this as a command. He could have. He's not shy on commanding things. Nor did he not command it because he's like, listen, this needs to come from a joyful heart, not a commanded one. Which again, would be the only thing in Scripture ever said that about, right? Like, 
This is, he's not doing it because commanding it would be legalistic or it would bind the conscience. He didn't command it because he saw generosity as evidence of faith. He saw it as evidence, like, I'm, look, he's just going to prove something. This is why he's, he's saying that giving generosity, this is why we would talk about giving and generosity as a part of discipleship. Listen, if you think you can be growing in your walk with Jesus, you can be becoming more and more like him and yet not reflect his generous heart, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself. How can you grow to be more like Christ who gave all if you're not growing in the grace of giving yourself? Our giving, our generosity, in this way becomes a barometer of where we are with Jesus. Right? And so this morning, friends, if you find that your money flows freely towards your wants and your desires but slowly and grudgingly towards Christ's mission through the local church. Can I tell you, Paul, the the scriptures, the Lord is not sitting here telling you, you know what, don't worry about it. Just wait till you're cheerful. He's saying, check your heart. Where's your heart at? Has it been transformed by the radical generosity of Jesus? Because maybe what this is a sign of is that you're in a more economic relationship with God. I do this, he does this. I know he's a hard man who plants or who reaps where he doesn't plant. So I'm just gonna treat him like that. So let me ask you one question. And listen, let me be clear. The offering has already been taken. Okay? So let's be clear on that. We're not passing the plate again. We're not putting up the slides again. It's not even deacon's offering week. That's next week. Um, So let me ask you just one question. The average Christian in this country, average Christian in this country, gives 2% of their income. You know what's crazy about that? Look at everything that God does with that. Look at everything that he's done with that. He does amazing things with that. What would happen if every household in this church determined to not be average Christians. Because I don't believe this church is average. I know I've only been here 10 months. Give us time. Sure, maybe. But I don't believe that. I don't believe this church is average, and I don't think you're an average Christian. So what would happen if we showed that? Just just above average. When we receive the radical generosity of God through the perfect work of Jesus, our hearts are transformed. And what that does is it makes us free to give, not out of compulsion, not so that we can get something from God, secure something for ourselves, but because in Jesus, everything we have ever needed has already been secured for us in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, this, uh, Jesus, I'm not sure who's, who's less comfortable right now, whether it's my friend sitting in in this room or whether it's me but the reality is is that all of us uh, are uncomfortable primarily because of what it is that your grace calls us to and so Lord I pray and I ask that you would through whatever means you need to do make us into a generous people a people who reflect the 
the outstanding grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though rich for our sakes, he became poor so that in him we might become rich. Let that truth sink deep. Let it transform every aspect of our lives, including our wallets, we ask in Jesus' name.